welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to yet another knock on podcast and uh this one's gonna be a pretty cool one simply because i'm actually taking time out of my personal time down here on a tropical island to record this podcast uh questions consider continue to pour in from all you out there and uh i've got a lot of cool things that have actually happened during this last week so uh, there's several good topics to talk about, and I've gone through and pulled a lot of the questions off uh, the private messages on my Instagram account. So for those of you who are hearing these, um, I know some of them are really old, but honestly, I just figured out Instagram had Messenger like maybe a month ago, so... I am very far behind on those, and I apologize for that. But first thing I want to get into uh, is something that actually, you know, I've been traveling quite a bit right now. Is my time of year where I have to do a lot of a lot of coaching, a lot of training, and uh, also try to squeeze in some family time too. So uh, I've had quite a bit of work come up, but we've taken a few days right now. Or down here in Mexico soaking up some sun, but um, I couldn't help but notice a post that uh, Cameron Haynes had made uh, last week regarding a really cool little boy, just a super awesome uh, follower of archery and bow hunting. You can tell by looking at uh, this kid's accounts. He's just eat up with the outdoors and hanging out with dad and you know, loving what the industry's doing and wanting to be a future hunter. And he uh, has had some major medical difficulties and went through some very extensive surgeries. And Cam had actually made a post that he was going to auction off a bow for this little boy, which if you have Instagram, uh, his account is hunterboy2007. Uh, his name's Caden, and uh, Cam had kind of started putting together first a bow to auction off, and then several companies started rallying in uh, to this. And um, I actually threw a bid out there as well, and and also threw out the offer to, you know, well, one if I if I was to win the bid, I wanted to get give everything back to Caden, uh, and really get him set up as a future bow hunter and uh you know i got outbid which is awesome um but i did continue to offer up some of the things that i had uh, wanted to throw into that package with one of them including uh you know personally setting that bow up for whoever had won it and also for for caden if if someone did give it back to him but um this was just a really awesome thing that the industry pulled together on and I want to read Cam's post because 
this is for me this is really what it's all about i was down here with super limited uh connection i wasn't really able to watch the bids i had a few texts into cam uh you know kind of having him update me on how things were going but you know as we were here uh the only thing i could keep picturing is is you know Caden's pictures from the hospital there and seeing that boy with his dad and a lot of those pictures and uh, it was just really touching so uh in the end <clears throat> Brian Stevens won the bid at $5000 and uh you know he he is going to give that back to Caden which is awesome but you know the donations were Hoyt, you know, but you know, I think Cam's going to put the bow up. Uh, it was a Hoyt bow along with uh, a spot hog site, some mountain ops, uh, supplements and donations. Uh, there was a backpack in there, um, Radler grips, threw some stuff in there, uh, and also a Yeti. Um, I threw in some arrows and I forget what else. I threw in a couple things, which uh, whatever they were, I'll, I'll get on that. And then, um, you know, again, that winning bid went to Brian Stevens. But then the second place bid um, was actually Lobo Toro, who bid $4,000. And even though he didn't win the bid at the last minute, he's going to go ahead and donate that 4000 to Caden anyway. So this is really awesome. Um, again, you can go on if you have instagram it's hunterboy2007 is caden's little uh account and he also has a gofundme page uh which the gofundme page would be www.gofundme.com forward slash d as in david z as in zebra t as in tom r as in robert 666k as in Caden. So that's his GoFundMe page if any of you out there uh, wanted to look at that. But this was really, really awesome. Uh, and just to finish here on, you know, reading through Cam's post, uh, you know, he, again, he was like me. He says, I'm humbled by the outpouring of support for Caden. He's a nine year old fighter who, despite all his challenges, has a zest for life and a seemingly permanent smile on his face. He inspires me, as do all of you, to make a positive difference. While social media has its challenges, especially those in the public eye, I try to keep my pages positive. And, you know, this was just a really, really cool thing that the whole archery community pulled together on and rallied for. Um, so I want to be like Cam and just thank all of you out there for that. And that was that was really, really awesome. And, you know, it's tough because... I'm sure, you know, everybody has their challenges and everyone has things that they need help on. And, you know, I know that Sharon and I, you know, we really try to give back as much as we can. And, you know, it's it's tough sometimes when, especially when you have, you know, so many people following you, you get hit up with that stuff. And it's, you know, it's impossible to do it all. So I apologize for the for people who have came to us and needed help at times and you know and we're just tapped out but uh you know in this instance uh i was losing sleep over it had to jump in um and i'm i'm glad i got outbid too that's a great cause 
Um, and then I actually, I haven't, I haven't been able to talk to him yet, but I actually have something that I'm, I'm going to throw at, uh, the winner, Brian Stevens, when I get in contact with him, uh, probably when I get back. So that's going to be really cool. Um, I guess on that same subject, uh, before we kind of dive into the podcast stuff here, I want to just give thanks to all of you out there. Um, it's it's almost overwhelming here in the last probably month for the amount of momentum that the podcasts have started to gain and start rolling and the amount of people that are starting to finally head over to the Knock on Our Tree YouTube site and watch a lot of the different videos and instruction, obviously passing the word about the podcast. And I think because I'm not limited on time, uh, for the most part on the podcast, I can get a lot more in depth on things. And with that, a lot of people are starting to figure out these things where they really were never able to have elaborate explanation on. So the amount of emails that I get of you guys out there sending me pictures of your groups and sending me, you know, pictures of tournaments that you finally won or your first 300s or you know finally able to shoot a buck without buck fever all that stuff really really adds up and you know i'm not just saying it uh when i make the comment that you know that stuff is what makes me want to do this you know i i uh i really love giving back to the sport and you know a big part of who i am uh has come from just learning things in archery and I want to be able to pass those along and you know there was it was tough for me to get information as I came up through the ranks and uh, I almost had to pick and pry a lot and you know I did a lot of things wrong to get where I'm at and you know I'm thankful for it because obviously it helps me solve problems now but uh, I don't want you guys to have to go through that if you don't have to so um and then, you know, once again, just my friends in archery, uh, you know, people have have really done a great job of promoting the podcast for me lately. And um, you guys know who you are out there and new friends and old friends. And uh, I just want to thank all of you for that. That's certainly helping the cause. So the first question I got here um, is from, I believe his last name's, uh, deadering, but it's Luke Deadering, and so Luke is just saying, and again, I'm just copy and pasting, so I'm going to read through these and and just give you my you know straightforward answer. Uh, but he said, uh, I bought the car to release uh, after shooting a hinge, and I'm trying to get used to actually using back tension with my thumb on the trigger. Um, sometimes it feels like I'm pa- I'm faking it and punching the trigger. Uh, how do you ensure the finger itself uh, is not the one triggering it? Um, I also noticed I can't pull as hard as I used to with the hinge, uh, which may not be good. So this is a, a pretty common thing with people as they tra- transition from releases. And it's one reason why I'm not a big fan of people continuing to, like, change releases unless you've really mastered you know literally mastered the release aid uh which funny enough is an article that i had a few months back in peterson's but 
Um, if you've mastered the release aid and you've mastered an unanticipated shot, then you can learn to switch back and forth. And probably for me, what makes it easy is the fact that I've, I work on a lot of releases before they ever even are out. So I've got so many different releases in my hands. I've really had to learn how certain releases manipulate or leverage or, you know, have to be angled in order to fire with that motion. But a lot of people are going to struggle with that. And that's why finding one release that you know is going to get your job done and really learning how to use that the right way is going to be critical. And I know in the past I've talked about, um, you know, one of my best years as a competitive archer was a year where I actually wasn't able to shoot all that much. Most of my shots were actually executed um, with just a string and a, you know, a plastic bow grip and just learning to pull through the shot and work my releases you know those are the small little things that can help you learn how to position the release in the hand how to move the thumb to the trigger and then also how to get what i call a preload on that trigger which is where you can actually put some meat on that trigger and start to slightly compress your skin enough to where at least you know you're on the trigger and it's ready to start its movement. And from there, if you maintain that position as you pull, it's gonna fire. Funny enough, I had I had a friend uh, that's been, a new friend I should say, that's been uh, sending me some evaluations, uh, some videos and stuff evaluating certain things and uh you know videos are always good because it's kind of like it's just like me being there in real life you know i've i've made so many shots the wrong way in my life uh before i got to where i was that i kind of can pick out all the little hidden things uh especially the you know what i call the 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 punchers that like to have like a a hidden punch with an exaggerated follow-through or something like that but in this particular case I had a video of a friend of mine that's that was wanting me to look at him shooting and you know it was like three shots in a row and the first shot uh it might have been the first or the third but on one of them I could actually see the the pressure of his thumb let off before it then fired which to me is an immediate sign that you know he actually kind of had a hesitation it came in off the trigger and then hit the trigger when he wanted it to fire so i was able to zoom in on that and you know pretty much point and say listen look at your thumb you can see the pressure come off your thumb and then you can see it fire the shot although the shot looked good from two or three feet back how that shot looked at two or three you know inches away is a totally different story and you're gonna have to be the one to start evaluating yourself you know this is a big part of learning to grow as a competitor is really getting to the point where if you see yourself doing what you know that you can't aren't supposed to do you know you have to be willing to say okay 
I'm going to make a stance right now. I mean, it's no different than making a life change. You know, if you were smoking cigarettes for a long time and decided to quit smoking, you know, you can either let everyone else baby you through it or try to get you through it, or you just have to wake up and make the clear decision of, I'm not accepting myself doing that anymore. You know, I've done it. I'm tired of it. I know it's not going to work. And just literally putting your foot down saying this is it. And that's that's what you have to do when it comes to to how you activate that trigger. If you know you're punching it, you have to be able to just say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not going to keep doing this at all. You know, but there are times, and I actually feel like in the case that I was just talking about and what you're asking here, where you may not know that you're doing it, you know. So in that case, video is a great coaching device. You know, you have to have that video and you have to be able to, you know, tell someone just hold it right by my thumb. And, you know, with an iPhone, you can tap on that that video and you can slide it really slow and you can see if that pressure comes off your thumb before it then fires you know as you're pulling with your thumb on that release if it surprisingly fires the hand should almost close and almost start to make a fist as it's coming back because as you're bending and you're coming back that should happen you're not like opening the hand and letting the hand open as you shoot you know it should almost be making that fist and especially if you do the things that I've talked about in the past with finishing your shot and when that release activates and you try to finish your shot you should be contracting that bicep so that you're pulling your release hand up and around the back of your shoulder instead of coming out or down away from your face you know, in this particular case with my buddy, I told him, I said, well, you're lucky that I wasn't there because if I would have saw you do that while I was coaching you, you would have got an arrow across the back of the legs. So if you've got a buddy that you can trust uh, and you really have a problem with it, then that normally gets people to stop doing it fairly quick. They're either going to they're either going to want to get a different release that they know they can't punch or they're going to stop punching because I can tell you an arrow across the back of the legs feels a lot like a car antenna and uh, it's not fun. So the next uh, thing I want to dive into here is going to be advice. I want to give you guys some advice on shoulders. Uh, I've got so many people here lately saying that they're waiting on their MRI or they just found out they have a labral tear or you know a whole bunch of shoulder injury related stuff here and I think a lot of that is because obviously my episodes that have been on the air have you know shown me shooting with my mouth so people are seeing that I had to live through that um and I just I really need to be able to dedicate or dedicate some time to to maybe do a video just showing some of the exercises that I had to progress through. And here's the deal: shoulders are a complex joint. It's a very very complex joint. And even now, um, there's times where if I if I lift just a little bit too hard, you know my my body almost 
you know, it, it almost guards that joint if it feels sore, even still now, 14 months later, it'll kind of, it'll, it'll like almost contract the muscles that allow the, the socket to actually pivot around the ball to pivot around in that socket. And what'll happen is sometimes when I'm really sore from maybe overlifting, you know, my scapula will, will move, but not necessarily my arm in the joint, the whole shoulder kind of moves, the whole scapula moves. And, you know, that's going to be something that's pretty common, getting that range of motion back and allowing your body to not guard that injury uh, takes a lot of time. And I can tell you that my doctor, um, the physical therapy that I went through was very slow. It was very methodical. And, you know, he made me agree to him because he didn't want to be the one responsible for jacking me up. So he pretty much said, this is going to be a very slow pace and I am not going to do this surgery if you're not willing to, to, do everything that I say. And I, I made that commitment to him and that's what I stuck with. But I remember being at my, um, my accelerated fitness or wherever, where I had a a PT person that had the, the, the orders from the doctor on what I was allowed to do. And they said, listen, this is really slow, real methodical, real boring. Um, but in the end, this doctor, we, we never see his patients back in here later on. And they say some of the doctors that progress their people through these, these things faster, a lot of times we see them end up coming back and having to, you know, to either get a touch up or get a repair again. So, you know, for me, that really stuck out. I just, I went as slow as I possibly could. I did all the stretches. I continue to even do the stretches now because for me, range of motion is everything about a muscle. Um, if you're not using, if you know, for any muscle, if you're not using the full range of it, then you're just you're really not getting the entire value of your strength. So I continue to stretch um, even now when I lift. Um, no matter what I'm lifting, actually, I stretch. I stretch between every single set and the other thing is with the shoulders i know that the sling itself having your arm in that sling for six to eight weeks for me that i think that did more damage than anything else because your body especially me my arms are incredibly heavy so i mean it literally disoriented my whole other side of my body because I was sitting there trying to lean against that sling with the weight of my arm pulling down. So if you're someone that's going through the shoulder surgery, I can tell you that uh, anytime you can force yourself to sit and have that your arm supported with pillows or whatever to where it was it's in the position it needs to be but you're not having that sling on your neck um for me that was a huge part of a lot of the different types of manipulation that i had to go through to get my posture and my alignment back um also a lot of the muscles that were counteracting it took them a long time to get straightened out again and there was a 
a considerable amount of scarring as well. So, you know, I'm just going to tell you, if you're going through a shoulder situation, you need to follow that plan and set it in your mind right now. You know, I agreed to my doctor that I would not shoot my right-handed bow for six to seven months. I know there were some doctors that told me, because um, I, I went through three or four doctors before I chose mine, and there were some that said, I'll have you shooting in three or four months. And honestly, I just thought that that would be a bad mistake. And looking back, I think I was certainly right. Uh, this slower process of getting stretching starting to get that range of motion back then starting to build the strength again and then at the tail end of building that strength comes having the right type of shiatsu or people that specialize in a stem or you know different types of physical therapists or massage therapists or acupuncture all those things every single one of those things played a big part in me being able to have a shoulder that right now 14 months later i feel is a better product than what i had most of my life so uh and i know as well uh actually uh joe rogan had sent me a message asking me about you know the new processes where they're actually taking like a stem cell and they're injecting it into those areas. And I do know that, you know, that is going to be the new way. Uh, that'll that'll 100% be the way of the future. A lot of these knee complications, unless it's an all-out sheared muscle, um, those types of processes are working miracles. And, uh, you know, maybe sometime I can actually uh, get him to dive into that topic a little bit deeper because it could really help out. Uh, archers out there too because i know that process is helping a tremendous amount of of uh athletes so stick on the program take it slow and uh you know when it comes to if you're wanting to shoot with your mouth i did just post a video showing how i set my bow up um on the knock on archery youtube site uh channel uh a lot of people were asking how they set up a mouth tab. There's a few people that are wanting to get out for their turkey season after their shoulder surgeries, and hopefully you guys make it work. And if you do, if you're listening and you do, uh, share it with me, man. I'd love, uh, I would love to know that I was able to show the right way for several of you out there to get out in the field again, uh, even during rough times, and use a mouth tab. That would be it would be inspirational again for me. So share your pictures or videos if, if that happens. Um, the next question here is going to be from Chris. Uh, just says, first of all, thanks for the free content. All you do, uh, is it okay to have a high elbow on your release arm when you're at full draw? Um, or should your arm be more parallel to the ground? Um, also, if I do have a high elbow, what can I do to get my arm more parallel to the ground? So this is something that is different for a lot of people. And, and if it's parallel, meaning, you know, when I have my release hand and I look at my forearm, mine is going to be parallel. Some people's are higher than others. And sometimes that's affected by the amount of flexibility that you have as well. Um, 
it certainly can be decided by your draw length and how you've actually positioned yourself. Um, it also has a lot to do with how you actually are pulling that bow back and utilizing the muscles in your back to pull and not necessarily your shoulder muscles or your bicep muscles. Um, you know, this was something that I've talked about several times. You really have to get in the habit of being able to, as you raise your bow up to that target, you have to be able to pull your release hand in a straight line back towards your anchor position. You don't want to have to pull really low. And obviously, if you're turning your elbow straight up in the air as you pull back, you load a lot of that pulling power onto your rear delt more so than the actual rhomboids and lats. So I like to keep my arm, you know, straight along the side of my face with my with my forearm parallel to the ground and I'm drawing that elbow in a straight line back, allowing me to use my rhomboids and my lats. And that's going to allow you to use the bigger mass and also prevent you from, you know, possibly getting some shoulder irritation or inflammation because that's a lot of weight for just delts or just biceps to pull with. Um, you know, there's several archers in the past that did really, really well with a real high rear elbow. One of them standing out the most is Michelle Ragsdale, just an amazing shooter, probably arguably one of the best females, um, best, probably top 10 females of all time. And she had an incredibly high elbow. Um, Mary Zorn had a high elbow as well. And the most important part about that is just, again, that you're having a surprise shot and that you're utilizing the right muscles to pull through. Um, if you're shooting too short of a draw and that's causing your release hand to be further forward on your face where that elbow's getting high, then that can be a problem. But you don't want to worry, Chris, about looking at a picture of yourself and your elbow's slightly higher than another archer's. You know, I always look... Um, it for me archery when it's done right it looks comfortable and you know Michelle Ragsdale always looked comfortable Mary Zorn looked really comfortable um, and and I've actually fought for that my most of my career when I look at pictures of myself I really want to look comfortable and you know I want to look so at peace at full draw and relaxed and i think that's what people need to shoot for if you're if you're like fighting tension and you're like you know this big ball of tension at full draw then something's not right i remember years ago probably 20 years ago i was looking at a picture of larry weir shooting and i think it was like the cover of 3d times magazine there was a picture of Larry Weir, and he was an amazing archer. And I just remember looking at him, and I was with several friends, and everybody just said the same thing. They're like, man, he just looks so, like, cool and relaxed at full draw. I mean, he literally had his sunglasses on his hat. He was just sitting there, and, I mean, he almost looked like he was just a statue just posing for perfection and I still have that exact image in my mind about just how 
comfortable Larry looked, and he was a phenomenal shooter. And I think we're the same. It, we need to strive towards that. If you feel like your high elbow is causing you to really have a considerable amount of tension at full draw, and you feel like you're almost fighting the bow uh, rather than shooting it, then, yeah, I would say you probably need to make some changes because you don't want to be uncomfortable. I've said this in the past. Good shots should be easy. You know, for me to pull back, go through my motions come into my anchor, settle into my peep, move my pin to that target, get my thumb on the trigger, and then all of a sudden start thinking about that movement and pulling that elbow back as I'm building tension on my thumb and on that trigger without moving my thumb. And then all of a sudden that release just, boom, it goes off. And, you know, and I feel like it almost goes off too soon. You think, oh, crap. And then you kind of rip your binoculars up there to see where your arrow's at, and it's laying dead in the center. Well, that is a perfect shot. I mean, that that, that is what we should strive for. The shots that are easy are the good ones. It's when you pull back and you're thinking about your elbow, you're thinking about your shoulder, you're kind of messing around with your string position, and you kind of feel like you've got more string pr- pressure. You're not really sure your anchor is, and then you're getting your thumb on there, and then you feel like you're pulling your guts out, but nothing's really happening and nothing's firing, and you're running out of oxygen. You know, you feel like, well, I've kind of ran out of air. Now I'm breathing again, so now I'm moving around again. I mean, when that stuff starts to happen, those shots, one, it's going to be a bad shot. Two, it's taken a considerable amount of energy to get you there you have done so much work to just make a bad shot and that's not what you want good shots should be really really easy you should almost just be in a flow you know you need to be able to just be in rhythm and in time and you know that's what I strive for when I practice Um, I remember a few weeks ago when I was working with the national team you know, I was sitting there, and they had been practicing for quite a while and then asked if I would jump in and do some head-to-head matches with them. So, you know, I hadn't really been shooting for most of that, well, for any of that day. So I was kind of stepping to a line, cold turkey. So, you know, I stepped to the line and found my stance, and I just closed my eyes and sat there with my eyes closed and just took you know, maybe five or 10 breaths. And with each breath, I was visualizing an entire shot and just literally going through the motions in my mind of what I wanted my shots to feel like and also what I wanted to to be in time with. You know, I try to set my speed by visualizing how I want my shot to go. And, you know, I'm a huge believer in you know, what you picture and what you visualize can easily be made to happen if you're doing it with the intention of, of knowing that that's what you want. You know, it's, there's a lot of people where I'll tell, okay, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to visualize a shot. And to them, they're just like, okay, yeah, pull back and, 
Yeah, I just they're they're visualizing their arrow going into the spot. They're not visualizing all the sensations that you actually go through to make a perfect shot. You know, the muscles. You know, feeling the muscles that you're using as you're raising your bow, and you know, looking at your hand position and feeling that hand on the release and seeing that your hand's flat and how that release feels and as you come into that anchor position how it actually feels on your face and then almost you know going outside of yourself and seeing yourself in your perfect form from you know almost an overhead view and then coming back onto how you're feeling on that trigger and that small little movement that you're doing as you're pulling and then that shot breaking and then visualizing that arrow tick-tocking into the center of the target for me that is visualizing a shot visualizing where an arrow lands is completely different so you know for me i just go back to being able to close my eyes visualize what I want myself to look like and then I think a lot of times you'll find that that's actually what will end up happening without you really knowing and you know there's been so many students that I've worked with to where they'll just not be thinking about anything other than kind of their steps that I've taught them and then when it comes time to them putting their pin on the target and thinking about the pull all of a sudden it goes off and they're just like, whoa, it almost scares them. And it's like, you know what? All of them should be that easy. I mean, ideally, that's what you want to strive for is for all of them to be that easy. So, you know, getting back to the specifics of that answer, Chris, everybody, depending on their flexibility and their muscle mass and also their stance, can have a slightly different elbow position. So, don't look at me and feel like that's what you have to be like because I've coached people with a lot of different rear elbow positions. However, you need to make sure that you're comfortable. If you feel like you're utilizing muscles that are causing you to fight your bow, then I think at that point we would need to look at making some changes. Um, Let's see. The next question here is from the real Luke Millen, and he's asking, uh, "Do you, how do you purchase an over-the-counter tag for elk or mule deer hunts? Um, is it possible to uh, to buy one if you do not draw one?" And yes, um, the thing is, Luke, you need to look at the different states that have over-the-counter tags. Um, you know, there's quite a variance to be honest with you um a lot of times you a lot of times you do need to put in for draws in a lot of areas you're almost guaranteed to draw uh but there's certain states in certain units and states like there's certain units in in uh idaho or colorado where you can just buy an over-the-counter tag and you can go within those zones um you know, for mule deer, there's a lot of different ones as well. So the best thing for you to do really is to pick the state that's closest to you or a state where you really want to go. And from there, the best thing you can do is, especially if you know a general area that you want to go to, you can almost call the game warden for that area. You know, I know that a lot of people, uh, 
throw a bad rap at the game wardens, and I certainly know that there's some out there that you know like to they like to make examples of people. Um, but on the flip side of that, I know so many that are just great people, awesome people, and I can tell you right now that um, I've got I know wardens that are close friends that literally go out of their way to try to help people that actually make the effort to contact them and say, listen, I, you know, I want to do things the right way. I, I really want to enjoy hunting your state, but I need to kind of, I'd like to be pointed in the right direction of where to go. And, you know, is there any type of game laws here that, you know, maybe non-residents, uh, commonly do that gets them in trouble is there something I should know about and I mean a lot of times they appreciate that so much that um, they'll go out of their way to help you and that's what I would recommend for you Luke just find out the state that you really want to go to and make a call to the to the game and fish department and ask them you know are there areas that I don't have to apply for a tag or are there areas that have leftover tags? Because sometimes, even after the drawings are done, there are leftover tags. Um, I personally, uh, I really like uh, hunting areas like Idaho, Montana. I love Alberta. Um, there's a lot of great public hunting in all of those areas. Uh, South Dakota's awesome. Um, but a lot of those places you do have to acquire a tag and it's not a matter of really drawing as much as just applying um you know you have to know when to apply it's just like you know for iowa there's certain areas in iowa where people can draw a deer tag the first or second year but there's also other areas where it may take three or four years so you know asking the game and fish that is gonna is gonna help you know where you should start off um let's see next question here is um one that i kind of been getting quite a bit so i'm just going to answer it again but they're asking which model hoyt do i prefer because i think a lot of people out there who especially newbies to the podcast um they don't necessarily go into an archery shop knowing what they want they go in and say hey i want a hoyt but um, which model do I want? And this this goes for any bow, um, but specific to this question here, you know the main ones this year. The first thing you're going to need to decide is if you want an aluminum riser or a carbon riser. Um, the aluminum risers are going to be available. The regular Defiant they're going to be available. You're going to be able to get one. If you're wanting a carbon riser, um, you know they're going to be a little bit more of a delay. And I can tell you that. Two years ago, I loved my Nitrum. It was the aluminum model. I actually preferred that one over the carbon one. This year, I'm going to change that. I actually prefer my carbon defiant over my aluminum defiant. Um, I just like how it feels. I like the residual vibration. I like the tones. Um, and I really, really like how it shoots. Now, when it comes to actual models, you've got normally you've got three options in the Hoyt you're going to have a 30 to a 31 inch model you're going to have a 34 inch model and then you're going to have a turbo model if you're a short draw person if you're a person that shoots lower weight or if you're a person who likes to have a more aggressive cam feel then a turbo model is going to be the bow for you now if you're 
a taller person or if you like a bow normally that's a little bit bigger and axle to axle maybe has a, arguably has a little more forgiveness then the 34 is going to be the one that you want that's the one that i think i'll probably end up shooting the most then there's a, a 31 inch model which is a great size really good for bl- people out of blinds out of tree stands you know there's so many more people gravitating towards hunting out of ground blinds now and i can tell you that a 31 inch defiant with the new limbs and the new cam system is really really nice you you have so much maneuverability out of that bow and it still shoots really really good even at that shorter draw length so um, or the shorter uh, axle to axle length. So, if I were to really just make a cut and dry, lay it out, it would be this. If you want speed, if you have to shoot low weight because of, you know, maybe you just can't pull it, or if you're a female, or if you have a draw length under 29 inches or 28 and a half inches, then a turbo could be a good option for you. If you're, if you're not worried about that speed, if you can still shoot a decent weight, 60 to 70 pounds, um, you know, if you're not really going to be a super large animal big game hunter, then that 31-inch model is going to be really good from anyone from really uh, 28 and a half to 30 inches. If you're um, a person that either prefers a bigger string angle or likes the forgiveness of a little bit bigger bow or if you're anywhere from 29 and a half to 31 inches then the 34 inch model is going to be the best choice for you for sure so um let's see here we'll get down i've got uh okay let's see i've got a quick question here um guy saying I don't have your name, buddy, but you're saying um, uh, that you bought a brand new Hoyt this year and you're surprisingly enjoying the quality of the factory strings and um, you're really impressed with the servings as well. And you're wondering if I could give you any input on how I could possibly get the solid neon green strings with the Hoyt logos on there. Um, So... I think all you have to do, Fuse strings are a custom string. I think all you'd have to do is make the request with your dealer that you want to have all flow green strings. And I actually, um, I had a few people actually CC me on emails that they had sent into Hoyt requesting that they finally start making a knock on, uh, option bow so i'll uh i'll jump on that bandwagon i can tell you if they were finally able to to give us all of us out there a knock-on version i think it would be uh you know i think it would probably be a reaper riser with with black limbs and and totally all flowed out so that would be my argument because i think on the on the black limbs uh that would look pretty dang awesome with with the knock-on logos on there as well but we'll see if that happens but yeah uh, just make a call into your dealer and tell them you know they are custom strings and cables if that's the brand that you want to shoot 
then just put in the request for all flow green. Um, let's see, I've got one more question here. We're going to jump into, uh, recently I've been listening to your podcast, been working on back tension in order to cure my target panic. Um, I've, hot sh- I've shot hundreds of blank bail shots, but when I go further back, I don't fully execute my shot. Um, is there drills that you'd recommend for me to do in order to help with my target panic at the longer distances, or should I keep shooting blank bales and just get my my muscle memory back down, then move back? So, yeah, the problem that so many people make, and this is a problem that I've even made in tournaments, is... Um, you learn to execute a shot really well when all you're doing is you're up close and you're focusing on the process. But once you start to step back and you start to see more sight movement and you start to see your pin moving off the targets, then that's when it starts to kind of start playing some mind tricks with people. So the best thing that you can do if you're wanting to just shoot longer distances is put up much bigger bullseyes than what you even think that you need and a lot of times people you know you're trying to improve your groups by making this target smaller and smaller and smaller which you know i agree a lot of times i do that at at real close distances but i like shooting the bigger bullseyes at the longer distances and just focus on you know i almost keep track of my x count more so than if i'm hitting the big bullseyes i've just found that the more you try to shoot at very very small objects then for a lot of people the more it kind of wigs them out mentally because they're seeing that movement and they start focusing on holding or aiming more than actually activating their shot the way that they do on a blank bale so a lot of times i'll tell people when they're shooting on a blank bale to just focus on that timing and that rhythm their execution when you know you're making good shots that way put a a full-size target up right on your blank bales right close in front of you and start working on being able to make those same shots with literally aiming at a goal that's almost as big around as you know your whole sight picture literally you pull back and nothing that you see through your scope is anything but gold but you still focus on being able to shoot with that timing and that rhythm and then just slowly start to back that target back and if it gets to the point where you feel like you're starting to anticipate that movement a little bit and you feel like you're slowing your shot down or your shot's taking longer because you feel like you're aiming instead of pulling then try try a bigger target you know try getting a bigger target you know that's one thing that i think a lot of people do with kids or with women when they're just learning to shoot you know they try to give them you know put a block target out in the backyard with a really small dot on it and the reality is the kid is not hitting that block target very often at all um you know i would much rather have a target where you know the bullseye's 12 or 14 inches around and if the kid can put arrows in the center of that bullseye to them they're still hitting the bullseye it's when you start minimizing that objective and saying well it's not just hitting this 
you know, you've got to hit this arrow hole right in the middle, then people start aiming more than pulling. So, you know, I continue to shoot at the bigger bullseyes, even at the longer distances and sometimes even at the closer distances, but I just kind of mentally keep track with how I'm grouping within that big target. Now for something like a Vegas face, obviously I've got to critique myself on shooting at the small 10, but when it comes to backyard practice, you know, I certainly don't mind people shooting at the bigger object. You know, the reality is if you're a hunter, you know, we're really shooting silhouettes. I mean, the majority of the time, you know, if if you're worried about shooting a one inch dot at 40 yards, well, the reality is if you're shooting an elk at 40 yards, you're shooting a 700 pound silhouette. You know, you have to be able to to know to put your pin within the, within the right spot of that big object and then just continue to pull through without trying to like micro aim and and aim and be steady rather than just getting your pin in that area where you know the kill zone is and pull through your shot smooth. If you're pulling through your shot and and going through your shot quick and smooth, you're going to find that arrow is going to find the center way more often than if you're trying to hold steady and you end up punching the trigger or collapsing or you know you've changed your facial pressure or your shoulders high now because now you're trying to aim you've crept your shoulder up all this starts to really play in so uh, before i bug out here i'm going to give you one last little piece of information i've actually made a really uh, i think important decision uh, for the archery community I have decided that I am going to take the entire bow build for the Knocked and Ready to Rock segment, uh, which aired last year. Uh, the entire build, a lot of people have wanted that on a DVD. Um, it's over an hour long. It's a step-by-step video of how, to compl- how I completely take a bow out of the box and build it. It's over an hour long. People have been wanting it on the DVD. Um, I've decided I'm going to load that on the knock on archery YouTube channel for free. So, uh, the one thing I'll ask, please share it, please, please, please share it. If you're a member of any types of, uh, forums or archery communities, I would really appreciate you helping spread the word for what I'm doing by sharing this video. Um, and you know, again, thanks everybody so much for, for, being followers i hate saying the word fans because you know to me you guys are just archery friends and that's what i want it to be about so appreciate it very much and uh knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com